Welcome to Grace to All. I'm your host, Paul Gray. You've probably used the word grace, sang Amazing Grace, or said grace at a meal. But did you know that God's grace is way better than we can even imagine, and that you and all people already have an abundant supply of God's unlimited amazing grace? Today, we're going to hear the truth about God's amazing grace to all people. So, sit back, relax, and prepare to be inspired and awakened to the amazing treasures that you already possess. This is truth that you can handle. Hello again, everybody. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Grace to All with Paul Gray. This past week, I had the opportunity to get together with some of my extended family. My dad was uh, one of eight siblings. There were seven boys, one girl, and my mom, there were only two siblings, but her sister had seven kids. And I was with a group of them this week. And one of the things that came to my mind was when my mom's sister, at age of 17 or so, in 1933, got her first job as a telephone operator in Clinton, Missouri. And back in those days, all we had were phones were that hung on the wall. You rang them. The operator answered and said, may I help you? And we said, operator, get me so-and-so. And generally, it was just get me somebody by their first name or uh, this store or that store or whatever. Because in those small towns, this town was a town of a couple of thousand men, there were two or three operators. Most everybody knew the operators, maybe not by sight, but at least by name. And so they'd say, Evelyn, get me Mr. Gray. Well, the situation with my dad was he had a twin brother, and there were seven boys plus their dad, and their dad was a twin brother, and there were several of them. So there were a whole lot of Mr. Grays who you could get on the phone. As a matter of fact, my dad and his identical twin brother, who really did look alike, exactly alike, their parents couldn't tell them apart, neither could their siblings. My dad and his twin brother used to switch up on their girlfriends. They would borrow the other's car, go to the other's girlfriend's house, pick them up, go out on a date. And of course, when the girlfriends found out it, you know, it was not a, a pretty picture. My dad and his twin brother thought it was funny, but I don't think the girls ever did. My point in telling you all of that, it's important that we know who we're talking to, who we're relating to. And I want to talk about that in context of when we're talking to God. Jesus came to seek and save those who were lost, lost to the darkness of the lie of the no good God, the religious God, the fictitious God, Adam's God, who was distant, separate, aloof, list-keeping, angry, full of wrath. That was the God that the Jewish people believed in when Jesus came to that society and the time that he came to reach them, set them free so they could in turn do that to the rest of the world, who were all in the same boat. They just had different concepts of God, but none of them were of the true God. So Jesus came to reveal his father, whom he called the only true God. Paul really captures that when he's talking about praying to the only true God in the letter that he wrote to the church at Ephesus. Paul had founded that church. He was the senior pastor of the church at Ephesus. He left to go on to found other churches and do other things, but he wrote a letter back to that church after he had been there several years and left. 
And here's what he says in chapter three, and it's very true for us today. I'm going to be reading to you from the Passion Translation. I've changed some of the words just slightly to apply to us today without doing any harm to the text. So here's what Paul says. This is true for you and me. Beloved friends, because of my love for Jesus Christ, I am now revealing to you the gospel that God has entrusted to me to share with you. And in other places, Paul often talks about the real gospel as opposed to pseudo or false gospels that other people taught. He says, this is the gospel that God personally entrusted to me to share to you. He says, this wonderful mystery was given to me by divine revelation. Paul didn't go to school to get this. Jesus appeared to him after Paul was a religious zealot, hated Jesus, hated Christians, didn't believe in the only true God, revealed that he was in Paul and always had me. And then Jesus spent some 14 years teaching Paul personally in the Arabian desert, took him up to heaven one time with him. Paul says, this is the wonderful mystery that was given to me by divine revelation. And he said, I'm now passing it on to you so that whenever you read it, which is what we're doing today, of course, you'll be able to understand my revelation and insight into the secret mystery of the Messiah. Paul wrote 2,000 years ago. He said, there's never been a generation that's been given the detailed understanding of this glorious and divine mystery until now. Well, that was true. Now, 2,000 years later, us all having had the Holy Spirit in us for all these years, we have been given more and more and more revelation. It's just like today. We find out every day if we have ears to hear and eyes to see that God's even better than we thought the day before. Well, that's been going on to people collectively for over 2,000 years now, and we'll never know the full extent of how good God is because he's God, and we can't comprehend all of it. Paul says, Papa kept this mystery a secret until this generation. And it's true for us today. We're seeing it all over the world. He is revealing it now. And Paul wrote then to the people, whatever term he used for the people there. One of the terms was the church, which meant those who were called out from religion. So I'm going to use that today. He's revealing it now to those who are called out from religion by the Holy Spirit to know the only true God. Paul says, here's the secret, the gospel of grace. Now, no other version of God understood grace or even had that concept. He said, here's the secret. The gospel of grace has made you, and he's talking to you, into co-heirs of his promise through your union with him. No other religious concept even comes close to people thinking they are in union with God. They are one with God. He goes on to say, you are members of his body, one with the anointed one. He wants us to know that the God that we know, that we pray to, his gospel is the God that we are in union with and we are one with. He's not talking about the God that Paul used to believe in, the fictitious God who was separate, distant, aloof, angry, had to be appeased, full of wrath, all of those things. Paul said, no, no, I'm not talking about him. The gospel of grace has revealed the good God that you're in union with, you are one with. 
He said, I, Paul, and this is true for me, and I suspect it's true for many of you, I have been made a, well, I know it's true of all of us. We just don't all know it. I have been made a messenger of this wonderful news by the gift of grace that works through me. Paul said, even though I am the least significant of all of his holy believers, this grace gift was imparted when the manifestation of his power came upon me. Grace alone empowers me so that I can boldly preach this wonderful message to all people, sharing with them the unfading, inexhaustible riches of Christ, which are beyond comprehension. The unfading, inexhaustible riches of Christ, which are beyond any human comprehension. Paul says, my passion is to enlighten every person to this divine ministry. He said it was hidden for ages past until now and kept a secret in the heart of God. No one up until Paul's time discovered that or knew that. The other apostles didn't really catch it until after Jesus finished work at the cross when he had the Holy Spirit in him. God revealed these things to Paul, and Paul began to teach the others. He said it was kept a secret in the heart of God, the creator of all. He said, it is now being revealed through those who are called out from religion. He said, this perfectly wise plan was destined from eternal ages before creation and fulfilled completely in our Lord Jesus Christ so that now we have boldness through him and free access as kings before the Father because of our complete confidence in Christ's faithfulness. Up until that time, people didn't have any boldness at all coming before God. They were afraid of God. They didn't want to get close to God. They wanted messengers to tell them about God and what God wanted, and then they just try to do it. But Paul says, no, it's not like that at all. We've got boldness and free access, just like kings, to come before the Father. And, of course, Jesus was the first one ever to refer to God as our Father. Now, this mystery really wasn't revealed prior to Jesus. None of the Old Testament prophets at all even knew the only true God. I mean, that's what Jesus said. Look at what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. It says, Throughout ancient times, God spoke in many fragments and glimpses of prophetic thought to our fathers. He says, Now this entire conversation has finally dawned in sonship. Even though they didn't really know the only true God, God revealed some things to them. They heard him. They wrote him. But they really didn't have any clue of what they were writing about and what it would mean for future generations. He said, suddenly, what seemed to be an ancient language falls fresh and new like the dew on the tender grass. He says, Jesus is the sum total of every utterance of God, the word of God. Jesus is the word of God, not written down in Scripture. Jesus is whom the prophets pointed to, and we are his immediate audience. In a son, verse 2 of Hebrews 1, God declared the incarnate word, God himself, come to be with us, Jesus, to be the heir of all things. He is, after all, the author of the ages. Jesus is the author, the creator of everything. Verse 3, the Messiah message has been on the tip of the Father's tongue all along. 
Now he is the crescendo of God's conversation with us and gives us context and content to the authentic prophetic thought. Everything that God, the only true God, ever had in mind for mankind is voiced in Jesus. Jesus is God's language. Jesus is the word of God. Jesus is the radiant and flawless mirror expression of the person of God. He makes the glorious intent of God visible and exhibits the character and every attribute of Elohim in human form. His being announces our redeemed innocence. Having accomplished purification for our sins, he sat down, enthroned in the boundless measure of his majesty in the right hand of God as his executive authority. Jesus is the force of the universe, upholding everything that exists. This conversation with Jesus is the dynamic that sustains the entire cosmos. Having accomplished purification of sins, he sat down. He was finished. His work was finished. Beyond this tablet of stone, the paper scroll or parchment roll, human life has become the articulate voice of God. Jesus is the crescendo of God's conversation with mankind. He gives context and content to the authentic thought. His name declares his mission as Savior of the world. That's his name, God saves. Savior of the world, he truly redeemed the image and likeness of the invisible God, the only true God who no one knew until he came. And he made him apparent again in human form as in a mirror. When you look in a mirror, you see the face of God reflecting in that mirror. You are God's child. You are a chip off the old block. You are made in God's image and likeness. Now back to Ephesians 3. Paul says, my dear friends, I pray that you will remain strong and not discouraged. And let's face it, we can all get discouraged. We are all weak at times, but his grace is sufficient in our weakness. Now, he goes on, he says, I pray that you will remain strong and not be discouraged. I want to talk in our last 15 minutes or so here about who Paul is praying to. It's all important who you're talking to. Going back to my analogy of operator, get me Mr. Gray. It's all important to know which Mr. Gray, which God you're praying to. The fictitious God that Paul used to pray to is not the one that he prays to anymore. When Paul writes, God, the Father of our Lord Jesus, he is specifically identifying the only true God who is pure, unconditional love, pure light with no darkness, who is inclusion, grace to all, Savior of all. That's all important for us to know. He's not talking about the Old Testament concept of God. He's not talking about a separate, up there, out there, aloof, judging, list-keeping God at all. He's talking about the good God, the only true God that Jesus revealed. Look at this, 1 John 5, 14. New American says, This is the confidence we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Now, you can't see what I've written down here, but I encourage you to look this up. I was just reading the New American Standard. If we ask anything according to his will, comma, he hears us. Okay, who is the he? Who is the him? It's not the world system of darkness, fictitious, angry God. 
Look at the Amplified there. He says, this is the remarkable degree of confidence which we as believers are entitled to that we have before him that if we ask for anything according to his will, comma, that is consistent with his plan and purpose, he hears us. Again, who hears us? The only true God hears us. Now, he hears us even if we're praying to a God who doesn't exist, but there are tremendous benefits to us knowing who we're praying for. And I'm going to show you in a little bit what those are. Now, I want you to remember that comma that I pointed out, and I want you to listen to that same translation in, in the mirror, 1 John 5, 14. Thus, we engage in an unreserved conversation face-to-face with the Father. We know that it is his delight to be our audience in whatever we may ask him. And Francois, the translator, then says in his footnote, it's not a question of whether we're asking anything according to his will or not. It's a statement that it's his will to hear us in whatever we may ask. The comma has been placed in the wrong place by most translators. Now, I would imagine that you've been with us long enough to know that in the original language, Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic, There were no punctuation marks. There were no periods, no commas, no semicolons, no colons, no paragraphs, no ends of sentences. It was all one long stream of thought. Translators have had to come in and put in periods and commas and things like that where they choose to put them, trying to clarify things so we can understand them. Many times, though, they don't get it right. This is one of those. The translations that say, we know he will give us what we ask, according to his will, comma, he will give us what he asks. No, the comma, there is no comma there. What he's saying is, according to his will, he hears us and gives us what he asks. It's his will to hear us and not ask us. It's not whether we ask for something that's according to his will. It's his will that he hears us when we ask and give us what we ask for. There's a huge difference there. If you're having trouble grasping that, stop, think about that, play this back again and listen to it. God hears us and answers our prayer according to his will. His will, he has decided in advance that he will hear us and answer our prayers and give us what we ask for. It's not if we ask according to his will. It is his will that he hears us. So Paul says that, and he says, Now, I kneel humbly in awe, not in fear. Up until that time, and sadly, many people today think that we're supposed to approach God in trembling and fear. Not at all. Paul says, I kneel humbly in awe before the Father of our Lord Jesus, the Messiah, the perfect Father of every father and child in heaven and on earth. There is only one God, the only true God, who is perfect, and he is the father of every father and every child in heaven on earth. He is our father, and we can come to him joyfully in awe. Now Paul tells us what he's going to pray for. Let's take a look at just getting into that, what Jesus wants the result of our prayer to be. The purpose of our prayer, Jesus says, is so that our joy may be full. Look at this, John 16, 24. Jesus is summing things up the night before he died. I'm going to start with the Amplified. He says, up until this time, you haven't asked a single thing in my name. 
But now ask and keep on asking, not keep on asking for the same thing, but keep on asking for more and more and more, and you will receive. Here's the result. So that your joy, your gladness, your delight may be full and complete. said, until now, you've not been bold enough to ask the Father for a single thing in my name. But now you can ask and keep on asking. And you can be sure that you'll receive what you ask for and your joy will have no limit. The message translates it this way. Jesus says, this is what I want you to do. Ask the Father for whatever is keeping with the things I've revealed to you. And he's revealed to us who Father is and what we already have. Ask in my name, and he will most certainly give it to you. Your joy will be a river overflowing in the banks. The mirror says it this way. Until now, you've not required anything in my name. When you realize what is already yours in my name, then make your request and lay a hold of them. Lay a hold of what's already yours so that your joy may burst its banks. So we pray, we delightfully expect effortless manifestations of what Jesus has told us we already have. And the result is we are full of joy, overflowing joy, because we know that we already have it. Sometimes we don't see it manifest just yet, but we know that it's going to manifest. Now, here's what the Apostle Paul says he prays. I've got just a few minutes to go in closing, so this is very important. Here's what Paul says that he prays, and here's what I pray. He said, I pray that he... God the Father, the only true God, would unveil within you the unlimited riches of his glory and favor. We don't need to pray for grace or for peace or for patience or for anything else that we don't have. Paul prays that God will reveal within you what you already have, the unlimited, I mean, there's no limit, unlimited riches of his glory and favor. I pray that God would unveil within you these things until supernatural strength floods your innermost being with his divine might and explosive power. Then he says, by constantly using the faith of Christ given you, see, it's not our faith that we drum up. We use the faith of Christ that he has given us, that's in us, we're one with him, He says, then the life of Christ will be released deep inside of you, and the resting place of his love will become the very source and root of your life. Then you will be empowered to discover what every Holy One experiences, the great magnitude of the astonishing love of Christ in all its dimensions. You will discover how deeply intimate and far-reaching is his love. Whose love? Not Adam's God. Not the distant, angry, far-reaching, separate God. No, you will discover how far-reaching is the only true God's love. You will discover how enduring and inclusive his love is. Whose love? Not religion's God, not the angry God that's out there, up there, watching you like a hawk, full of wrath, ready to zap you. No, you will understand how enduring and inclusive the only true God's love is. He says, this love is endless beyond measurement and transcends our understanding. This extravagant love pours into you until you are filled to overflowing with the fullness of God. Which God? Not Adam's God, not religious God. Have you ever felt the love of God pouring into you until you're filled to overflowing with the fullness of God? You'll only feel that when the only true God reveals to you that it's true. 
He goes on to say, never doubt God's mighty power to work in you and to accomplish all of that. Which God? (laughs) Well, the only true God who works everything for good. He will achieve infinitely more than your greatest request. He who? You're getting the picture. He will achieve infinitely more than your most unbelievable dream. Who will achieve infinitely more than your most unbelievable dream and exceed your wildest imagination? Only the all-good God, the only true God, Jesus Papa. He will outdo them all, Paul says. He will outdo anything you can ever imagine from anybody else. For his miraculous power constantly energizes you. Now, he says, we offer up to God, the only true God, not Adam's dark, religious, list-keeping, punitive, wrathful God. We offer up to the only true God all the glorious praise that rises from every called-out one from religion group in every generation through Jesus Christ and all that will yet be manifest through time and eternity. We just break out in joy when we understand who the only true God is and what he's already done for us. Now, God blesses people no matter who we think we're praying to. His reign, his grace falls on the just and the unjust, the right and the unrighteous. But we recognize when we are blessed, we recognize it's the only true God blessing us with what we already have. Otherwise, if we think we're praying to the other God, we think we have somehow prayed long enough or hard enough or whatever enough, fasted and given and everything, repeated things so many times that we finally got that angry God to wear out and trip the trigger of the slot machine and give us just a little bit of what we need for right now. When we pray to the only true God, we realize it's our Papa who's lavishing everything he has on us, and he's doing it because he loves us, not because we've caused him to eke out just a little bit here and now. When we pray to the only true God, we pray with no fear, with no doubt, with no even hint of thinking that he's retributive. We pray in awe. When we pray to the only true God, when we know who we're praying to, we pray confidently with assurance that it's his will to hear us. We don't have to worry whether or not we're praying in his will or he's going to hear us or not. When we know that we're praying to the only true God, we know he's hearing us. And when we pray to the only true God, the result is we receive his overflowing joy even before whatever it is that we're asking for manifests. Because we know it's his will, it's his desire to give it to us. We know it's already been given to us. It's already been deposited in our account. We're just waiting for it to manifest in time and space, but we know it's going to happen. So the result then, when we pray to the only true good, is confidence and pure joy and overflowing graces, knowing that we're praying to the only true God who loves us and wants to bless us and is blessing us. Hope this is helpful to you folks. It's been really helpful to me in my prayer life and my relationship with God and my time with God. And it's something that I think it's, it's very important for us all to know. Thanks for being with me. Hey, let me know that you're listening to these. If you haven't yet subscribed to the YouTube channel or to the podcast, uh, hit like or dislike if you don't like it and, and make some comments. Tell me what you're thinking. And those of you who know me in different ways, uh, get in contact with me and let me know how you're doing and what's going on with you. Thanks again, everybody, for being with me. For Grace to All with Paul Gray. Love you all. See you all next time. 
Thank you for listening to Grace to All. For more about us, how we can serve you, and our special guest, please visit www.gracewithpaulgray.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode and to join our Facebook group, Grace to All, where you'll be inspired and awakened to more truth that you can handle.